Hi, and welcome to the Beyond the Scale podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, and this podcast, presented by Sequence, will discuss a wide range of topics related to obesity, nutrition, and fitness. With the help of special guests, my goal is to shed light on the new weight science. Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Scale podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, and today we have one of our awesome registered dietitians, Shelby Secor. She's coming on, and we're going to talk about sustainability and how to get people to stick with a diet and not be too restrictive. And this is also, of course, in conjunction with our program at Sequence, where we do utilize anti-obesity medicines, but we also want to go above and beyond just using medicines. We do want to get into mindset and all those types of things. So welcome, Shelby. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. How long have you been with us so far? I've been with Sequence since early December. Look at that. And you are seeing a lot of patients per day trying to help them at this point, right? Yes. I am pretty busy. Yeah. What were you doing before this? Prior to this, I did some general weight loss, non-pharmaceutical weight loss. I also have experience in long-term care, primarily geriatric population, clinical nutrition. Now, you have some other things you do. You're not just a dietitian. Is that right? Yes. I'm also a certified personal trainer. I've been in the fitness industry since about 2014. I started off in Zumba as a Zumba instructor. Zumba. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I did. I worked at F45 for a couple of years. And uh, I also have worked in a boutique gym doing small group training. Very cool. Are you still doing any training for clients on the side or are you doing just mostly nutrition type of stuff? I'm just doing nutrition for now. You work out though. I do work out. I do still love to dance. I love to walk and I love to lift heavy things and put them right back down. Perfect. Does your dietitian even lift? I know (laughs) Summer does and you do and we have a bunch of other dietitians who who are are not only into nutrition but exercise, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. So given your experience, like What are some of the biggest things that you saw with clients before and now I would call them patients, of course, but what are some of the things that like you saw them falling off the the wagon and and struggling, maybe doing well at first and then not able to stick with it? What are the things that you saw there? Yeah. You know, I think it's pretty clear that traditional dieting can be very unsustainable for many reasons, but I do find a big reason is going about it too aggressively, too quickly too restrictive. And I think that is a huge factor in why traditional dieting is very unsuccessful. What'd you do to like help people get off of that boat, so to speak? You know, talking about realistic expectations is a big one for me. What is it that you realistically can achieve? And in what timeline is that realistic given your current lifestyle and the things that you have to accomplish every day? What were some of the unrealistic expectations? Yeah. So say like creating a super high protein goal, for example, or never eating out with friends or completely eliminating sugar or having to cook a completely separate meal than what your family is eating. So you're even talking about unrealistic expectations for behaviors and not even the outcomes, which would be like... I want to fit into my whatever I wore in high school or Mm -hmm. things like that. So you're even thinking of what people come up with to go like, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting. So like that's kind of like the all or nothing uh, type of approach that a lot of people take. 
how do you get somebody to go like, okay, you're going to cut all your sugar out? Well, first of all, you're going to have to cut out fruit and all sorts of healthful things, but maybe they're talking about like candy or, or something like that, that or cake and, and desserts, so to speak. So let's just assume they're talking about that. How do you get them to go like, hey, that's probably not the best approach? I like to ask them what success they've had in the past with restricting sugar, because oftentimes it's not the first time that they've gone through something like this and they feel like they've been successful for maybe a short period of time in the past, but there's always some type of relapse that happens after. So I like to really hone in on the relapse aspect of it. What happened that made you not be able to sustain cutting out your sugar completely. Do you anticipate that this is going to happen again? And if we were to say, create something that was a little bit more realistic, maybe allowing yourself to have a sweet treat daily, or maybe it's how often you need to enjoy one weekly, or maybe there are certain swaps that we can make that'll feel good for you. It really is dependent on you personally, what you feel like is sustainable, achievable, but um, sometimes you do have to work with people to kind of allow them to be comfortable with trying that. And then you just kind of have to support them through them actually doing it because some feelings might come up. So that's why it is really good to continue to work with people so we can talk about some of the things they experienced while they were trying a more sustainable method. Yeah. Like sometimes if you tell somebody you can't have this at all, it might make them want that more or or they may be able to do it for a little while, but then it all of a sudden builds up. Whereas if you just give them permission, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, they don't put it on a pedestal to where it's it has this power over you. It's kind of an interesting mindset shift. What about like, so since we use these really powerful GLP-1 medicines that work on receptors in the brain that basically tamper that that drive to want some of these foods, what have you noticed working with your clients and patients in that regard, are you still noticing sugar cravings and are you helping them through that? Or is it a whole set of different problems that you're seeing? Yes and no. So I do see some people who all of their cravings are eliminated. All the food noise is eliminated. They're not tempted to go grab something and eat it. And it's just not an issue at all. And then I do still see individuals who are having a lot of cravings and I do see them come from, you know, two primary places and in general, inadequate intake. I've kind of been calling them like breakthrough cravings where Mm -hmm. we're still not eating enough and our body is asking for us to eat that food. I see it a lot with people who don't eat breakfast and then eat like a really light lunch. They're having a lot of cravings around like 3 PM. They're originally starting to eat maybe their first meal at 10 and it's like really light. And then they want something again at three and then it's then dinner, you know, they're too full for it. Maybe they'll skip dinner completely. And maybe historically they would overeat dinner and then not feel primed and ready for breakfast the next day. And so those individuals, I still am seeing a lot of cravings. And with those individuals, we do try to focus on redistributing that food to earlier in the day to try to manage some of those cravings. And then we also talk about strategies to be better prepared in the event that they did not eat breakfast. And maybe they do need to make up a little bit food later in the day. So we'll talk about um, filling and satisfying things that they can eat to prevent overeating, but also the likelihood of that happening is significantly reduced with the medications. And then the other side of it I see is the specific food avoidance, like the mental avoidance Mm. of it. 
So say someone who has a history of a ketogenic diet, that's how they've traditionally lost their Mm -hmm. weight in the past. They still have a bit of an aversion to carbohydrates. They might not like fruit, for example, and they're sitting there craving and thinking about wanting to eat fruit because they like fruit, but they still think that they can't have it Mm. because they traditionally follow a ketogenic dietary lifestyle. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's the thing I fight online is like, hey, just so happens that you can eat carbs and still lose weight. It comes down to the energy balance. That doesn't mean that certain foods may make you want to eat more, yada, 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 and the medicines help you eat fewer calories. Now with the medicine, you should absolutely try to have some fruit, especially because it's very good for you. So that's that's interesting. What are some other things that you've noticed that are like, ooh, this is a different, I had to change some of my strategies now that people are using medicine versus working with people before not using medicine? Anything come to mind there that's a lot different? Yeah, I really do think that this is an opportunity for people to take advantage of the fact that they're not fighting against appetite, they're not fighting against cravings, they're not fighting against food noise, which has traditionally made pursuing a different lifestyle really difficult, and they're not fighting against that anymore. So utilize that piece that you have to put that effort towards building the habits that you truly want to build to be able to have lasting results. I think that is a huge piece of it because prior to working with these medications, a lot of it is I'm hungry. Like I really want these foods. I'm still eating a high protein breakfast. I'm eating a lot of fiber. I'm moving my body. I'm doing all the things, but I'm exhausted. I'm miserable. Like what's going on. And so I just don't see those things now with these medications. And I think it generally makes it a lot easier to focus on the lifestyle changes, but ultimately you do have to put that focus in there. I just think it's an easier opportunity. Exactly. That describes it pretty well. What about like, you know, protein? So one of the big issues that we're seeing is that there seems to be these drugs work almost too well to where some people almost have an, are are you seeing aversions to some proteins and, and whatnot to where it's like, Hey, we're not saying you have to be a bodybuilder and eat a gram per pound of your body weight. So if someone's 300 pounds, we're not asking somebody to eat 300 grams of protein. And we're not even asking them to maybe even necessarily eat half of that. We're even like maybe a third, maybe 100 grams for that person. Something that's like a very reasonable minimal amount that will help preserve muscle mass and all this different stuff. What are you seeing with with protein with, with clients? I think I'm seeing a lot of misinformation and a lot of people are under the assumption that they do need to be eating about a gram per pound of body weight or they're yeah, a lot. they're eating the amount that's like the minimum to initiate muscle protein synthesis, for example, and they don't have a specific goal where they want their muscles to get bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So I always tell people that protein is based off of body weight and goals. And so what is it that you want to achieve? Where are you at personally? And for some people, yeah, we are just working on getting to the minimum amount of protein that we're recommending for individuals. And then other people are really crushing it. And maybe we're getting a little bit more on the optimal side of things. And we're pushing it a little bit farther because that's where they're at in their journey. And it's what feels good to them. But I do see a lot of people thinking that they do need a lot more protein than they do and feeling really relieved when we set a more realistic protein goal. And I do see, you know, some of to protein, just in general, the fact that 
these medications work so well. And sometimes people need to adjust to them as well. And they might not be able to just tolerate the adequate amount of protein right now. And so we are just focusing on those strategies of getting as much in as we can for some. What are you seeing with tolerance to like protein shakes? Because sometimes it's like a piece of meat. It's like, ugh, especially with these medicines, it's like, this is this is kind of a lot. Whereas like, mm, I could drink one of these like ready to drink protein shakes. Are, are you utilizing some of those tools? Yeah, I say the vast majority of people that I meet with can tolerate protein shakes and they do really enjoy like the core power or the fair lives. I do see some people who aren't really into the milky types of protein. And nowadays there are some more like water fruit based type Mm -hmm. protein infusions. And so sometimes I'll suggest maybe trying that out to see if you like it may even be able to do like half a scoop and mix with like a flavored juice or something that they enjoy to even spread it out in the day. If individuals do really like, say, like the Fairlife shakes and they do have the time in the morning, I do like to ask if they can maybe make a protein shake for themselves so they can add in some fruit, they can add in some nut butter, some chia seeds for some fiber, or even using that protein shake as a base and then adding some additional things into it. I love to like take it up a notch if we can take it up a notch, but at the bare minimum, I do see a lot of people who really like them. It's it's rare that I see people not wanting to utilize a protein powder or a pre-made protein drink. Yeah, that's good to hear because there's concern about people not eating enough. And I think the biggest concern for for me would be just not lifting weights. Lifting weights is the most powerful thing for preserving muscle when getting into a calorie deficit and, and losing weight. It basically signals to your body that like, hey, we actually need this. The body's using this. Let's keep this around and let's keep losing just adipose. Otherwise, it's like, well, we don't need this and it's pretty metabolically costly. Let's, it doesn't matter to keep it here. That's such a simplistic way of viewing it. But And there are some molecular signals when you lift weights. But like on a simple basis, you're signaling to the body, hey, I'm still going to be using this, so keep it around as I take my calories down or my energy intake down. So from a protein standpoint, though, that's the second most important thing. What is our recommendation right now for minimum amounts of protein? Let's say a 200-pound person. Yeah. So the RDA for protein is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. We typically recommend that people don't go anywhere under about 80 grams of protein. But at that 0.8 most people are kind of hanging around the 80, maybe around 100. You know, I like more of like a 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. And again, as you mentioned, strength training, resistance training is also a big aspect of, you know, maintaining muscle mass. But I also, at the end of the day, we have to be realistic again with what we can achieve. And if we're at a place in our life where we don't have a big appetite. We do have a lot of weight to lose. As you mentioned, the resistance training aspect of it is super important. And maybe you can't get into resistance training right now, but that doesn't mean that you can't get into it in the future and focus on building muscle at another part in your journey. And I think allowing us to make those decisions that we think are truly what's best for ourselves in our long-term journey is what really leads to success. That's great. Yeah. You're, you know, your focus on sustainability, it's so important because like, let's just say we said people need to be eating 1.6 or something grams per mm-hmm. kilogram of body weight. 
that's a pretty high, especially when you have a lot of like adipose or fat tissue to lose, a lot of weight to lose. So we go minimum of, of the RDA of 0.8. Now many sports, I mean, and you're in this world, many fitness body composition specialists will say, whoa, whoa, that's way too low. Mm-hmm. True. I would say it's not optimal for, for muscle retention, but from a sustainability standpoint, people don't necessarily get to eat a lot of protein. So you'd have to be pounding some of these protein shakes where you're already on these medicines where you don't feel like eating so much. So we call it shrinking the change. I think it was shift by Chip and Heath. There's a book out there where they shrink the change. So here's what's optimal. That's not going to be People aren't going to be able to do that. So then you shrink the amount of change that they have to do to at least hit certain minimums. And then if we can optimize further, and it sounds like your approach is right there. And I think it's, I think that's great. Meet the patient where they are, as opposed to give them again, how much we're going to move the needle one way or the other. It's not going to make an enormous difference by jacking their protein up even higher. So get the minimum, maybe optimize further, like a cherry on the top big bang for the buck is getting them to resistance strain, which also might be too much of a change right in the beginning. So you get them feeling good with losing weight. And then all of a sudden like, you know what? I want to get into this a little bit more. I think that's a great approach. What else? Any other tidbits that you've noticed working with patients on these medicines, anything else? I'm sure the listeners would love to hear. Any other little tidbits that I have really just are about Again, setting sustainable and realistic goals. Yeah. We are huge fans of setting SMART goals when we meet with our members. Something that is specific, something that we can measure, it's attainable, it's relevant, and it's time-bound as well. So if you're just generally setting a goal and you're like, I want to eat more vegetables, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have to go meal prep? For them, how do you like meal prepping? Have you meal prepped in the past? Do you like meal prepping for five days a week? Can you just meal prep your proteins? Do you need fresh fruits and vegetables? So, like the whole sustainability and goal setting aspect of it is getting very specific. Mm -hmm. So, we want to break it down all the way to the bottom, the very base, the foundation. And so, let's just say you're someone who is currently not eating vegetables. And let's say you have a little bit of an aversion to vegetables. Maybe it's something that has happened as a result of, say, the medication and like early satiety, not being able to tolerate like really fibrous raw veggies, or maybe it's because you have ADHD. Maybe you just never really ate a lot of vegetables all your life. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. But if we were to set a goal of you eating one cup of vegetables, you know, with dinner every single day, you're like, I don't even like vegetables. How am I supposed to do that? And like, do I have to eat all these different types of vegetables? Like I only like broccoli. What am I supposed to do? And it's like, yes, it is important for us to consider variety with vegetables, but for right now, like, let's just even aim for a fourth of a cup, three days a week a fourth of a cup, two days a week, something that you feel really confident that you can achieve. I could do that. I could do half a cup, you know, for two days a week. That's not really that big of a deal. And then you can build on it from there. If you're successful with that over a period of time, it starts to feel more natural for you. You you know, you ask yourself, can I do this forever? Yeah, I can eat a half a cup of veggies two days a week forever. That's not that big of a deal. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll change it to three. Maybe we'll change it to one cup. We'll kind of just layer it on for there. But, you know, uh, one of my favorite sayings, I'm a huge sayings person, is like, you can always do more later. I like it. 
Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. And hopefully anybody listening, if you're with our program and you haven't met with our dietitians and you like what Shelby's saying, definitely schedule an appointment as we can help out greatly in some of these strategies and and making sure that you're eating the right things, including enough protein and et cetera. And if you know somebody that's on these medicines that's not necessarily with Sequence, our program, share this podcast with them and hopefully this will help them regardless if they're one of our patients or not. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I had a great time today.